0: is doing okay this evening, and we are going to take a look at what uh, is referred to in the Jewish religion as the High Holy Days. So you might ask the question, well, before Christ Jesus, how did somebody actually get saved in the Old Testament? People that we refer to as Old Testament saints. And so that's kind of what we're going to cover tonight. So... um Join me, if you will, in prayer. That's always a good place to start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We thank you for the holidays of Rosh Hashanah, the New Year's, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I thank you that you have sent us, the Messiah, to be the propitiation for our sins, Lord. And while we might study Jewish festivals that were given for prophecy... Uh, Your plan of salvation has never, ever changed, Lord, and everything in the Old Testament was meant to be a school to teach us what was to come, and uh, we know that it was all fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Messiah, Lord. We also know that you're bringing this creation to a close one day soon, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll live here eternally, Lord. Thank you, Father. Use this time now for Your honor, glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. So yeah, that actually works good. Rosh Hashanah commemorates the creation of the world. Uh, it marks the beginning of what is known as the ten days of Ah, and so from from New Year's Rosh Hashanah on the the First day of the seventh month, which is Tishri, uh, and it goes for ten days and culminates in the Day of Atonement. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the Day of Atonement as being the one time of the year that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifices for himself, for the people, for the sanctuary, and uh, and go through an entire ritual, sacrificial ritual, in order to attain salvation for another year. So um, it is a period of introspection and repentance that actually culminates at the 10th day, the Day of Atonement. So on Rosh Hashanah, as with all services on, on the Sabbath, Uh, they start with the Shema, the Jewish prayer. And, um, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, That prayer says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Rosh Hashanah um, is also called the Feast of Trumpets. And uh, in Hebrew, this is called Yom Terah, the day of shouting or blasting. So it's very different, the two holidays, right? New Year's is a time of celebration, of joy, of festival. And then by the time we get to the Day of Atonement, it's a day of fasting, it's a day of very solemn uh, Introspection. So the shofar is to be blown 100 times uh, during Rosh Hashanah. Uh, we think about in the Old Testament, we think about Joshua and the Israelites as they went around uh, Jericho, and then on the seventh day they blew the trumpets. So the trumpets were used in the Old Testament. To bring people to war. They were also used as a time of worship. But the feast of trumpets is gathered for worship. Uh, Rosh Hashanah marks the beginning of the civil year. uh, When the Jews came out of Babylon. In 536 BC. Uh, They adopted the Babylonian New Year which takes place on the first day of the seventh month. Even the word tishri, uh, which is the seventh month, stands for, in Hebrew, uh, actually in Babylonian, means beginnings. And uh, the Jews have adopted much of their custom from the Babylonian people. One thing worth taking note of is that when the Bible has a lot to say about a festival, the Jews follow it very closely. But we don't have a lot of information on Rosh Hashanah. And uh, the, much of it is carried out based on tradition. So, for example, um, apples and honey is is one of the traditions of Rosh Hashanah. Um, a second one is challah bread made in a round... Circle. Most of the time, olive bread is made like any loaf or bread. But during Yom Kippur, I mean uh, Rosh Hashanah, it is made in a round deal. And I understand that we have a couple loaves tonight. You can see them in the back there. Rachel has them. So <laughs> I, I guess only two loaves for all of us is a first come, first serve basis. <laughs> uh, the common greeting for uh, Rosh Hashanah. Is Lashana Tova Tikatayivu, which means May your name be inscribed for a good new year, and so again, we're we're preparing for the Day of Atonement ten days from now, and actually this year tonight ends the October fifth ends the uh, the Day of Atonement. It actually started last night at sundown and goes to tonight at sundown, and so it's actually over now. But uh, we find support of this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 says, Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to the Lord, do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength." So the first day of the seventh month, a time of rejoicing, uh, and services during Rosh Hashanah typically increase in the number in attendance and also increase during the length of time. They're kind of like our Easter and Christmas, you know, where a lot of people come to, to worship during that time. And so it is with, uh, with Rosh Hashanah. They, they really do pack them in. So uh, they're they're kind of, uh, they cover three topics in the Rosh Hashanah service. They cover kingship, showing that God is king over all. They cover remembrance, because we all want to be remembered before God. And they cover trumpets. And actually the trumpets will be blown a hundred times during the service of Rosh Hashanah. So it is believed that on the Jewish New Year that God would open up several books and inscribe our names in the book of life, at least according to tradition. These books are open, and so there's three books, right? The first book is the Destiny of the Righteous. These are called the Zadikim and their names are written in the book of life. And I would assume that this is really a very small book, right? Because those are the people that are absolutely righteous, and their names are going to be written in the book of life. Then you have the book of death, or the wicked, the Rishayim. Um Again, guessing it would be a very thick book, uh, because these people are totally wicked, they absolutely will not be in the book of life for the next year. But most people won't be inscribed in either book, and they have 10 days in which to balance the scales, to do good work in order to get themselves written into the book of life. One possibility for the idea of the book's opening comes from a segment of scripture referred to as the Ancient of Days, and the Son of Man. And so, Daniel 7.10 says, A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were open. So, Let's take a look at what the Talmud has to say about these books. So the Talmud, very much like an encyclopedia Britannica, is a set of books been written around the the beginning of the uh, the hundred years before Christ was born and extend until about the fifth century. Were written by rabbis, um, and they are the vital manuscript of conventional Judaism, so much so that they even take precedence many times over the Bible. Now, however, the Talmud is not inspired by God. Hence, it is not, nor does it claim to be, inerrant. So there's problems within the Talmud. It's not inspired like, like the Bible, Uh, So let's look at the Talmud regarding these opening of the books. In Tractate Rosh Hashanah 16b, and a Tractate is just an essay or a a subject matter, if you will. Uh, Rosh Hashanah 16b says, three books are open in heaven on New Year. One for the thoroughly wicked one for the thoroughly righteous and one for the intermediate. The thoroughly righteous are forthwith inscribed definitely in the book of life. The thoroughly wicked are forthwith inscribed definitely in the book of death. And the doom of the intermediate is suspended from New Year's until the Day of Atonement. If they deserve well, they are inscribed in the book of life. If they do not deserve well, they are inscribed in the book of death. And this was written uh, by Rabbi Abin. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? However, as a Christian, what's the problem with what we're hearing here? Uh, What's wrong with these statements? Let me ask you a question. Can a person actually influence God by his works. Right? Is there, according to the doctrine of election, our names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And so, is salvation a gift of God, or is it something that we earn? Clearly, Scripture teaches that salvation is a gift of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Also Romans 5.17 says, If by one man's trespass, referring to Adam, death reigned through this one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness in the life the one man Jesus Christ. So here we have the Bible giving us truth and the Talmud giving us falsehood. So you have to be careful when you look at those books. Second question is, when are our names actually written in the book of life? Is it possible for you to, in the midst of your life, do something so well that your name is inscribed in the book of life? It's not, because according to the Bible, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the world. Whether you've done good or done bad, you have no impact on that. According to the doctrine of election, it is God who chooses us to be listed in the Book of Life. We have a promise from him that he will never erase our name from the Book of Life. Now, let me just make this one statement. I have actually tried to share Jesus with somebody, and somebody will say, well, I'm just not elected, you know? Well, I can guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you, if your desire is to be a child of God, to trust in Christ Jesus, that's a pretty good reason why your name was probably already there in the book of life. You know, I love the way Pastor Steve uses this statement. He says you kind of have to think with both hands, right? God has election, but we have a responsibility to receive what God has given unto us. So we have to make a decision for Jesus Christ, and God has to elect us. But if you make a decision, that's a pretty good indication that God has elected you. Uh, In Revelation 17, 8, it says... The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. And Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him. The desire to be inscribed in the book of life and to have our sins cast away from us is so great that they developed a custom called the Tashlik. And uh, in Micah 7.19 it says... He will again have compassion on us. He will banish our inequities. You will cast, the word Tashlik, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And so what happens is some Jews will take the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah, they'll go to the a body of moving water, they'll take some breadcrumbs, and they'll cast it into the moving water to have the bread be taken away, and, um, and the, so they, they do that because they want to have their sins taken away. Now for those of us that's received the gift of God, the gift of salvation through Messiah Jesus, God has cast our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. So we now get to the point of Yom Kippur. And uh, this is a time when the temple was standing that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and meet with God. If you think of Rosh Hashanah as a time when the gates of heaven are open, Yom Kippur is a time when the gates of heaven are closed. Your ten days are over. You've done all that you can do. And uh, we are to fast on this day. And it's a time when the book of life is closed. It ends the ten days of awe when the people are trying to merit forgiveness. And Yom Kippur brings them closure of their efforts. For those who have come to a place in their faith of the Messiah Jesus, we know we cannot do anything to merit forgiveness. And that merit was done on the cross by Christ Jesus him and him alone is the only one that has ever merited righteousness and then what i call the greatest deal in all history he takes our sin upon him and he gives us imputed to us his righteousness it doesn't get any better than that so we have this very specific instruction In Leviticus 23, verses 27 through 32. Remember I told you that when we have a lot of information in the Bible, the Jews follow it very carefully. It says, the 10th day of the 7th month is the day of atonement. You are to hold sacred assembly and practice self-denial. You are to present a food offering to the Lord. On this particular day, you are not to do any work. For it is a day of atonement to make atonement for yourself before the Lord your God. If any person does not practice self-denial on this particular day is to be cut off from his people, I will destroy among his people anyone who does any work on the same day. You are not to do any work. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations wherever you live. It will be a Sabbath of complete rest, Shabbat Sabbaton, a Sabbath of Sabbaths. And you must practice self-denial. You are to observe your Sabbath from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening. So Yom Kippur is a day of covering of sins, not forgiveness, but covering over. From the New Testament, we read of the finality that was accomplished in Christ Jesus very simply put in colossians 1:14 in him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins but not just the covering of sins but the removal of sins all of the sacrifices made in the old testament times were but promissory notes right we read those to have a an idea of what's coming and and to put into perspective what has been accomplished on the cross. If you will, Christ is our suffering Messiah. I would like to talk for a moment about Old Testament saints, those who believe in God, trusted in God before his son went to the cross. And so God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Specifically, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a true, absolute statement. But Old Testament saints, it says in the New Testament, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that is because we are on this side of the crucifixion. For the Old Testament saints, they could not go to be with the Lord at the time of their death. So they went into Sheol and... uh, a place that's called Abraham's bosom. So just to summarize, in Luke 16, 19 to 31, both a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus died. The rich man went to Hades. The poor man went to Abraham's bosom in Sheol. Verse 23 says, And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw far off and Lazarus as his side. He asked Abraham to send Lazarus back to the living to witness to the rich man's five brothers. Verse 29, in response to the rich man's request, Abraham says, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. And then verse 30, it says, And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I think history has proven this to be true. Uh, If you've ever tried to witness to people that uh, on the Jewish side of the house, uh, very difficult to try and get through that. Uh, But there is a reward for Old Testament saints and when Jesus died on the cross, he went to the center of the earth. And it says in Ephesians 4.8, when he ascended on high, he took captives captive and he gave gifts to people. So when Jesus died on the cross, he went into the center of the earth. He went into Sheol. He took the Old Testament saints and took their spirits up into heaven with them. This day, again, is called Shabbat. Shabbaton, it's a Sabbath of Sabbaths and a complete rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, I love it, says, Come unto me, all ye are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's talk about the Holy of Holies. We're told that the high priest may enter the Holy of Holies only on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur. No natural light was there. Because God was the light. There was actually a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And if you remember, when Christ died on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom. Uh, Once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. All other days of the year, there were daily sacrifices because as people of God, we sin daily, right? But on the Yom Kippur, the nation of Israel offered special sacrifices. But this is a restoration of the people, not of the people, but of the nation of Israel. So it was not individual salvation as we have in Christ Jesus, okay? Um, So what would happen is two goats were offered in a very special way. So the two goats would be brought before the high priest, and the goats are known as echad. Now, that word echad means one, unified. Um, In Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, right, says Shema, Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. doesn't mean he's one singular. It means he's unified one. We believe in a triune God. And so these two goats, they make a oneness. Even though a complex unity, they are a single sacrifice. They're both appointed for death at this point one goat is slain and his blood is sprinkled on the altar and the other goat is the azazel was prayed over and the sins of the people were put upon this goat symbolically and that goat was sent out into the wilderness away from their sin, from the people as their sins were sent away from them jesus christ represents Both of those goats, right? He was our perfect high priest. Uh, Leviticus 21 and 22, talking about the high priest, they are to be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they are present, they present the fire offerings to the Lord, the food of their God. They must be holy. We are to be holy as people of God we have the Spirit of God living within us, we become the temple of God. And that is why we need to live a life that's that's glorifying to God, that's well-pleasing to God. And Jesus was a perfect sin sacrifice. Hebrews nine thirteen and 14 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cows sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God promises that there will be a new covenant that he is going to... Uh, to, to do because the old covenant covenant in the Old Testament it did not fail it was always perfect right the law of the Lord is perfect however the people just could not follow that and so in Jeremiah thirty one he says look the days are coming this is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the days I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching... Within them, and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This was fulfilled by Christ Jesus when he died on the cross. In Hebrews 10:14 we read, "For if by one offering he was perfected forever, those who are sanctified, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. And he's quoting Jeremiah 31 here. So he says, verse 16 in Hebrews 10, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord said, I will put my law on their hearts, write it on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. So, He ends in verse 18 by telling us why the temple became useless for 40 years after Christ died on the cross. Verse 18 says, now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Is there anything that can can be an offering for sin for us now? Jesus has made that offering on the cross. We should come every day confessing our sins. Right? First uh, John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness." We should do that daily, but not for salvation. We should confess our sins because we are saved. We should live a life well pleasing to God because we're saved, not to be saved. Jesus took care of that on the cross. During Yom Kippur, four rituals were followed, and uh, that actually changed after Christ was crucified. So the first one, every year on Yom Kippur, the high priest would choose by lot which of the two goats was sacrificed on the altar. And which one became the Azazel? So they would literally cast lots, and they would make a choice. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to just take a coin, heads on one side, tails on the other, and flip it 40 times, what are the odds that that coin would come up all heads all 40 times? Right? The the probabilities are astronomical that that would ever happen. And so, um, but yet, for 40 years after Christ died on the cross, from 30 AD to 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, that 40-year period, every year, the goat for the Azazel came up in the left hand. Never a little right, a little left. Always in the left hand for 40 years. Second, each year, There was a red crimson cloth that was tacked to the door of the temple, symbolizing the sins of the people. That cloth, prior to the crucifixion of Christ, would turn white if the sins of the people were forgiven. For 40 years, that cloth remained red. Meaning, that Christ made the final propitiation for sins. No other sacrifice was going to be accepted. The third one, each year a light used to light all other candles in the temple was meant to stay lit continually. There was a Levi, and his job was to make sure that there was always oil there that lamp was always lit. It never went out until Christ was crucified. And then for 40 years, they couldn't keep it lit. Every single day, it would be out the next morning. And then finally, the doors of the temple were to stay closed at night. And we read in the, in the Talmud all this comes from the Talmud that the doors in the temple were, were always open the next morning. Every night they, they would close them and the next morning they would remain open. Now, 40 is a very important time, very important number to the Lord, right? When, um, when the Jews came out of Egypt, how many years did they spend in the wilderness? Forty. When Moses went up to get the, uh, the law from God, how long did he spend up there? Forty days. And so uh, it just shows up over and over and over again. And then when a time of gr- mercy and grace right, was given to the people for 40 years, God was saying to the people, your temple sacrifices are no longer acceptable. So this outline in the Talmud, Yoma 39b, uh, tells us, the lot for the Lord always came up in the left hand, the red crimson colored strap never turned white, Um, the westernmost lamp continually went out, and the doors of the temple would open by themselves. So the bad signs mentioned above are likely subtle ways in which God spoke to the Jewish people that animal blood sacrifice offered in the temple were no longer acceptable. The sins of the people were not forgiven that way. God made the final sacrifice. Jesus, the Messiah, had died for their sins and fulfilled the sacrificial system. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. All people today must repent and turn to the Messiah for forgiveness of sins. And by the way, during the first century, many Jews did turn to Jesus and they formed the early church. For a long period of time, church was held in the synagogues. Christianity was really a sect of Judaism when it first started off. And we've had teaching here that explains why the church became a lot more Gentile than Jewish, right? But that's a different teaching, but it is important to understand that our Savior was Jewish, the apostles were Jewish, and so we have a great heritage in in that whole thing. Um, The Day of Atonement is the day that we acknowledge our need for forgiveness and new life. Only the Messiah can bring that into our lives. We need to recognize what sin does in our lives. It separates us from God. Um, That gap... uh, Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities has caused a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. God has bridged that gap on the cross. So... In conclusion, I was on a website called One for Israel and I came across this statement written by Michael Brown. I'd like to read this to you because it really does um, make a good point. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years have come and gone, but the question remains the same Is Jesus of Nazareth the Jewish Messiah? The Savior of the world, if he is, then let's follow him, for we have no other way. If he's not, let's expose him because only the truth will set us free. Although the world is full of religions, the controversy surrounding the Messiahship of Jesus is unique. Those who reject him base their belief on one and the same book as those who accept him. Jews who follow Jesus say, he must be the Messiah. He fulfilled all the prophecies of the book. Jews who don't follow Jesus say, he can't be the Messiah. He fulfilled none of the prophecies of the book. Who's right? From one book, the Hebrew scriptures have come two faiths. One faith says, we'd rather die than confess the name of Jesus. The other faith says we'd rather die than deny the name of Jesus. One faith says there are two messiahs who will only come once. The other faith says there is one messiah, but he will come twice. So how can I know the truth? Simple. Only one of these two faiths is based on the power of God, while the other has been built on the traditions of men. There is really quite a difference. And the God of the patriarchs, the God of the Exodus, the God of the prophets, the God of the Messiah, he has made things plain in his word. If you seek him with all your heart, then the scriptures will be a light to our path, a lamp to our feet, as it says in Psalms 119, verse 105. His word is sure, it cannot lie. He then, this then, is the biblical faith of Judaism. The faith, the Jewish faith that is truly messianic. And this is the faith that will bring the world back to God. The faith that will cause the nations to believe. And Yeshua is the one who will establish justice on earth. And the coastlands can and will wait for his law, Isaiah 42.4. At this very hour, in this very continent, on this globe, countless millions of people who used to be godless now worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through Jesus Yeshua, the Messiah and Lord, he is the only way. You see, God has provided one sacrifice for all, a final atonement. In the sins of mankind, God has provided the lamb. And it was 40 years before the temple was destroyed that Yeshua offered his life. From that day to this day, God has been saying no to his people. No more sacrifices. No more prayers. No more works. I have provided the way, yet to all who have ears to hear, God has been saying, yes, come to me. Yes, you can know me. Yes, I will cleanse you from all your sin. Believe in the one I have sent. Messiah Yeshua has come. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are,